Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide this episode is brought to you by alienware during dell tech fest score game-changing innovations with limited time deals on select next-gen alienware gaming tech new dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the alienware m18 laptop powered by an intel core i9 processor featuring awe-inspiring visuals liquid cooling three-dimensional audio with dolby atmos and impressive overclocking potential your dream setup amazing prices and free shipping await you for a limited time only at alienware deals. That's alienware.com slash deals. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome back to the show. My name is Noel. My name is Matt. Whoa, did we just put our things down, flip it and reverse it? Yes, we did, Mr. Elliot. Our colleague Ben is not here today, but he's out there somewhere and I have a feeling we might hear from him very soon. And as always, we are joined today by our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. And guess what? You are you. You are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Listener mail edition. Or as we like to refer to it, the U edition. That's right. That's right. And speaking of you, you today is also Ben. Because Ben is out, seriously, in a weird place, on an adventure. He talked about it last week, and he sent a message to us from that location. And we're going to hear from him right now. As I'd mentioned earlier this week, I'm in a remote location fielding a number of pursuits. But this letter from Garrett sent me on one of my favorite rabbit holes, the kind of thing that draws you into a place past time. I looked up to realize hours had passed, hours I frankly didn't have the luxury of spending. But time well spent nonetheless. Garrett, here's what you said. Hi, guys. 
I recently stumbled upon a clickbait story about a VHS tape that was passed around in the early 90s. It was a 25-minute or so video, supposedly tutoring people on how to properly rob graves. The video seems remarkably authentic, mostly because the young man tutoring us seems so real. He seems to be speaking candidly and has an occasional stutter. Throughout the video, this kid is handling a very real-looking human skull. Apparently, nobody has ever identified the star of the video, despite his speech impediment, his accent, and his unique appearance. Garrett says, I would be interested to know if grave robbing is actually a modern occurrence, as this young man seems to suggest. The lore of the video is an interesting tale in itself. Garrett has attached a link to a video called Grave Robbing for Morons. Thanks for keeping me entertained while I run. Hey, Garrett. Thank you. Uh, Matt Noel, I posted the video Garrett mentioned, uh, and I hope you guys have a chance to watch uh, some or all of it. Here's what's going on. While I can't conclusively speak to the veracity of this video clip, I can tell you it's fairly graphic. Uh, the video is much like you've described, Garrett. Uh, the camera is handheld. The background is dirty. The person in the video walks through what they claim are best practices for removing a skull from a corpse, uh, from entering a cemetery or gravesite surreptitiously and getting away. Uh, they also talk about the best practices for removing skin from the skull and so on. The video is pretty long and it goes in depth. In fact, it goes on long enough to make me feel like it may be a sincere effort rather than a prank or an attempt at anti-comedy, but I'm still on the fence here. It is worth a watch. It's freely available on YouTube, uh, if for nothing more than curiosity. In terms of practical grave robbing, it's very clear this video was made before the advent of smartphones. I'd say it was clearly made after 1987, because if you look closely, you can see a VHS tape of Evil Dead 2 in the shot. The accent is indicative of New York, unless the person here is acting. The host, as far as I can tell, remains unidentified, uh, though there are some interesting internet sleuths who, who feel like they have some leads on this. It's also tough to tell whether this skull is real. The whole thing could be a student film. But if it is a student film, wouldn't a classmate have come forward by now? And in terms of removing flesh from bone, uh, the advice just isn't good. Don't follow it. The advice about how to quietly do stuff at night, however, does make sense. It's practical uh, for an, any number of situations, including stuff like bombing graffiti or breaking and entering urban exploration and so on. Back to the video itself, it's a fascinating rabbit hole, you know, whether it's fake or legit. But the bigger question you've asked, Garrett, is about grave robbing. And I am unfortunately here to tell you and all our fellow conspiracy realists that grave robbing is still very much a thing in the modern day. It's a huge industry and uh, the process of grave robbing, the motivations behind it and the nuts and bolts of the process may not be occurring in the way we'd initially imagine. I mean, I believe this could be a good 
if grisly full episode of stuff they don't want you to know. Picture Stefan from Saturday Night Live saying, modern grave robbing has everything. Angry archaeologists, illicit activity under the cover of night, meth heads, the Chinese government, ancient Native American mounds, and the Bureau of Land Management. So first, the days of resurrection men are long gone. Medical schools and research institutions can legally buy human remains, even if the provenance is often dodgy. In the U.S., for instance, most corpses receive a prompt burial, and the bodies that get donated to science usually end up on the dissection table. Uh, their bones get sawed to pieces, uh, they get destined for cremation eventually. So this means that most skeletons that are used for medical study do come from overseas. And that means that they often arrive without the informed consent of those people, the skeletons back when they were alive, and uh, often they're, they're received in violation of the laws of their country of origin. I mean, honestly, you can go buy human bones for yourself right now if you know where to look. Uh, check out, for instance, curiosities from the fifthcorner.com. That's all one word. Uh, fifth is number five, TH. So curiosities from the number five, TH, corner.com. India has for a long time been the world's main source of bones used in medical studies. Back in 1985, the Indian government outlawed the export of human remains, and the global supply of skeletons collapsed. Western countries then turned to places like Eastern Europe and China. But often, medical professionals considered those countries or those regions to be inferior sources of skeletons and bones because the producers didn't have much experience creating what the experts would describe as display quality specimens. And it turns out that what's known as India's bone trade continued as a black market. This meant there was a renaissance in grave robbing, one that in all likelihood continues today. There was one place that was called a bone factory referenced in an article in Wired that operated successfully for more than a century before two workers at this factory started drinking at a bar and casually running their mouths off about their day jobs or night jobs, which were robbing graves. This is a gruesome example, but other grave robbery is less motivated by getting bones and oriented more toward robbing for what are known as grave goods, the artifacts and the treasures buried with the dead. This could be anything from precious metals in jewelry uh, to, you know, ancient vases and ancient relics. In an article for Vice, a reporter named Oscar Rickett spoke with an archaeologist named Delphin Weiss about how methamphetamine-fueled grave robbers Hit the, hit the grave robbing scene in the 1990s and then became enormously prominent in the 2000s. Delphin noted that meth makes people actually pretty well suited for grave robbing. Think about it. They have a lot of energy. 
They keep weird hours, and they tend to focus the majority of their time on activities that help them fund their addictions. Delphin noted that the biggest cases of meth-motivated grave robbing occur in places like Kentucky, West Virginia, Georgia, the Four Corners region, and across the Southwest in general. The sites that are targeted are often Civil War sites or Native American sites. And this archaeologist, Delphin, says they've personally come across meth labs in the middle of nowhere. And sometimes the people in charge of those labs actually put up booby traps. The grave robbers, when they get whatever they have found, be it in an ancient Native American mound or be it at the site of a Civil War battle, uh, they usually go and sell these objects directly to their meth dealer. And the meth dealer functions as a middleman. Or they sell it to someone they know who is already an established black market dealer of Native American goods. And at that point, it starts being distributed through networks across the U.S. Or it just gets sold on eBay. And it's pretty hard to track down and stop this illegal trade. You might ask yourself, why desecrate a grave? Well, unlike the guy in the grave robbing for morons video, who mainly talks about the thrill of doing this and talks a little bit about how it could also be a lucrative business, this seems to be entirely a business decision in many parts of the world. And it's one that probably isn't going to stop unless it somehow becomes unprofitable. And this also leads us to an interesting question about statutes. I mean, who's to say local people don't see foreign archaeologists as grave robbers themselves? How long does a body have to be in the ground before exhuming it becomes a scientific enterprise rather than a crime? These are important questions that institutions, countries, and individuals have wrestled with. But to answer your question directly, Garrett, right now, it looks as though Grave robbing is a modern-day industry with a long, grisly tradition and one that is set to continue in the future. As for the video that you have mentioned, there are, there are a lot of things that seem a little off about it. Uh, aside from the advice, I would also, um, I'd love to hear from our fellow conspiracy realists about whether or not you think this is legit what you think the motivation is, and um, whether they'll, they'll actually find this person. So I am signing off from an undisclosed location. Hope to talk to everyone soon. In the meantime, uh, please write to us about this directly. You can email us. We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com, or you can call us. We are 1-833-STD-WYTK. Grizzly stuff from Ben Bolin in the field. The, un the Undisclosed Field. We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor, and then we'll be back with more listener mail. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. 
I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life and you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. And we're back with more messages, or stories, all the things, communications from you, the conspiracy realist, the best part of the show. And this one is just delightful. Uh, it, it Honestly, I was a little concerned uh, that it was going to, you know, be one of those kind of like, you guys totally got it wrong and screwed the pooch on this one. But it turned out to just be uh, a really, really, really amazing uh, bit of detail around the idea of handwritten letters as advertising, or in this case, 
as uh, evangelizing. Mm. So I don't have to say any more. We'll, we'll get into the conversation in a minute. But here is a letter from Anna. Hi, my name's Anna. And first of all, I just wanted to say I love your podcast. Thank you, Anna. I was listening to your latest episode today, The Troubling Future of Advertising. And about three quarters of the way in, I had to laugh to myself a little bit because you started to talk about receiving handwritten letters from religious groups. As it so happens, at the time, I was writing one of these letters. What? I, I'm one of Jehovah's Witnesses. And if you've received any handwritten letters, they're probably from your local witnesses. We are not evangelicals, but are a Christian religion. It may be possible other religious groups may be sending letters to people too, but we do it on the largest scale. Anyway, I heard you had a couple of questions on the nature of these letters in your episode, so I thought I'd answer some of them for you. First off, the reason we write these letters is because of, wait for it, COVID-19. Mm. Due to COVID-19, we can no longer go door to door like we used to. So we've had to adapt, thus letter writing. Second, yes, we do handwrite the letters each and every one of them. Though some witnesses may opt to type them, but uh, most prefer handwriting because, like you mentioned, it makes it more personal. That being said, uh, we're making our letters personal for different reasons than an advertisement. Unlike ads, we actually care about people, and we want to show it by taking the time to write a letter just for them. We're not trying to sell anything. We just want to offer some encouragement and hope. We never ask for donations or charge for literature. Actually, most of us lose money writing to people. I know I do because we pay out of pocket for stamps, envelopes, and paper. But we still do it because we care about our neighbors. Third, you mentioned receiving letters written by children. These letters are, in fact, written by children. <laughs> uh, witnesses encourage their kids to participate in letter writing with them. My family usually does it together on Saturdays for a little while. Though we aren't forcing kids to write letters, they do it of their own free will. As you said, sometimes the letter's message may seem mature for the appearance of the writing. That's because some kids need some help knowing what to write, so they'll copy the parents' letters. My little brothers do this. Lastly, I have never and have never heard of any witnesses using the term I'll pray for you or anything along those lines, as it seems very judgmental and a little creepy. So if you get a letter that says that, it's probably not from us. Anyway, hopefully that answers some questions about what our uh, operation, in quotes, looks like. And I truly hope those who receive my letters look at them as a message from someone who cares about them rather than an advertisement. If you have any questions about Jehovah's Witnesses, you can learn more about our beliefs at our website, jw.org. Again, love your podcast. Every episode, I learn something new. Keep it up and have a great day. I'm not going to lie, Matt. I'm getting a little uh, verklempt right now. And I don't know really? why. Uh, only because I just... I think this is really lovely. This is a really lovely sentiment. And uh, Anna's uh, clearly a lovely person. And, you know, while I have my beefs with organized religion, certainly, and I have, I've made no uh, attempts to hide that on the show, um, I also realize that the community aspect of it and the, like, you know, um, support aspect of it and the kind of, like, trying to give people hope and engender kind of positive qualities and, like, being living to be the best version of yourself. All of those things are really powerful, positive qualities of certain organized religion. And I'm not here to, to nag or, or diss on anything that anyone's doing that's bettering themselves or making them, you know, literally treat their neighbors more kindly, you know, or with respect or, or in a way that tries to make them feel seen. Uh, and I just thought this was really lovely. Um, but also, I love the fact that Anna wasn't like mad that we brought this up. 
in the context of advertising that she totally acknowledges that it could be seen or taken that way and did some things to clear it up without feeling preachy or judgy in any way. Um, so I don't know. Hats off to, to you, Anna, for this letter. Uh, it really kind of made me feel things. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think, Matt? <laughs> That's awesome. Well, my favorite thing is that she's listening to this show of all right. shows while she's doing that right. like outreach to people. Um, <laughs> not what I would expect, Anna, but, you know, <laughs> hey, different strokes, huh? <laughs> like strokes of the pen. Get it? Yes, for sure. <laughs> um, you know, ah, man, and I have, I have a lot of questions and I'm not going to pose them to you right now, but uh, most of them have to do with, you know, the baseline belief structure of, you know, someone who identifies as a Jehovah's Witness and um, some of those things like the acts I don't. I don't know enough to like even have the conversation right now. But we've discussed Jehovah's Witnesses in the in the past, uh, not not at the individual level, but at, at, on the structural level, right, of the organization uh, and the beliefs the belief system. I'm interested to know how those letters play into some of those larger beliefs about. God, I, mean, I might be getting this wrong, but treasures in heaven versus you know what you how that's related to your acts on this plane on earth. And I, yeah, I just wonder like where the letter writing fits into all of that. Yeah. And, and I have to wonder too, like, I mean, you know, maybe it's not overt, but surely it's made clear in these letters that this is somehow an extension of the, of the uh, you know, Jehovah's witness organization. And I would imagine the intent in some small way has to be to, you know, get people to pay attention and, and maybe give it a second thought because they felt, seen and they felt um you know like they they were given something very personal uh and i think that's obviously whatever the intent i mean i think the intent of just like be reaching out and trying to make people feel good and trying to help your neighbor i think that's all great and obviously a very important part of this but i also think there is certainly a component of it that is a, a form of you know some some form of recruitment yeah but i mean but it's done in a very classy way, and I think the intent uh, of of the the utmost you know importance is is what Anna is, is describing. And I'm not trying to contradict you, Anna, or say that you know you're not uh, being on the level because I think clearly you are. And it seems like this is something that is very meaningful to you and members of your community. And I love the idea of like you know getting together and doing this with the family. And of course, you know we know uh, I think many of us have probably been visited by Jehovah's Witnesses and. I would argue this is probably a better a better alternative uh, in this day and age. Uh, it's it's not people are a little suspicious when people knock on their doors. Uh, yeah. Earlier today, I was in a meeting and I heard a loud crack, crack, crack on my door and my dogs were barking and I ran over there to check it. And it was my friendly neighborhood AT&T salesperson oh, letting, letting me know about high speed. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, I had someone come up, come around a couple weeks ago. Very similarly, very aggressive knock too, like a cop knock, you know, like mm -hmm. rap, 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 uh, trying to talk, trying to pitch some kind of smart home installations. I feel like we're we're getting back to the, like the days of Willie Loman or something like that, you know. I don't think it's a good idea. I do not think it's going to uh, take off. But I have something to add onto this. I think this is a really okay. really uh, informative perspective, and I really again appreciate it, Anna. Um, I did want to point out, though, that in, in looking into this a little further, there are quite a few companies that specialize in software and hardware that essentially uh, creates the illusion of handwritten letters for 
ding, 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 marketing purposes. There's a company called Scribeless, um, and this is how they describe their technology. Oh, my God, it's a crazy looking, dude. It's crazy looking. It's basically, it looks like a robot Kind of, it's like it's like a like a bar with little feet on it, uh, with a ribbon on it. Kind of like think think of like the top part of a typewriter. Only instead of there being keys, it's just this extension and this little grippy thing that holds an ink pen, and it literally moves back and forth, kind of like a like an inkjet printer, but it guides the actual physical pen. And it, it adds little imperfections. Uh, I just want to read a little bit from their site. In an era where everything is digitized and accessible with the click of a mouse, writing letters by hand is archaic and a big waste of time. Marketing has evolved in the past 20 years, changing the way businesses approach advertising. Two decades ago, digital marketing was a secondary part of the marketing mix, if not even less relevant. In 2020, though, digital marketing is the starting point of any campaign. Marketers lost the need to spend valuable time on personally writing letters, slowly making handwriting something of a lost art. Fortunately, a few years ago, California-based DIY hardware manufacturer, wait for it, evil mad scientist decided no. to revive the spirit of handwritten marketing. They created a robotic pen plotter with one purpose to guide a pen along a surface. Uh, but it's looking, all lies. It's all a lie. It's not a handwritten letter at all. It's a robot written letter. It's very weird. It does look very much like a handwritten letter just done very well. Yeah. It's, it's like the most perfect handwritten letter I've seen, but it's got these minor little imperfections. Correct. That trick your brain. Little smudges. All you have to do is take a, it's literally like a, like a piece of particle board with little alligator clips affixing the side of the letter on one side and then the envelope on the other. And the thing just zips, zips its way across the paper, making those little ink smudges and those little, you know, handwritten imperfections. Uh, but I love the fact this whole thing, and then it goes on to say, uh, Every day, consumers and professionals get bombarded by promotional emails, digital ads, and meeting invites. Between 2014 and 2018, the average business professional received approximately 90 emails a day. That's one every 16 minutes. I think we can attest to that, Matt. That is more than accurate, if not a little on the low side sometimes. Um, but this idea that it's a powerful way to extend your brand's personality, it's just very weird. It's like what is old is now new again and weirder again. Um you, you know, yeah, I agree. Uh, my favorite thing on their website they've got here under uh, products, direct mail. They they mention that if you have beautiful handwriting, you can use your own because the AI can learn your handwriting style. What? Wow. Uh, is signature, wise. anybody forging signatures with a robot? Yeah, exactly. Right. How how is that not being mentioned here? Yeah, I mean, granted, look, uh, when was the last time anyone actually verified a signature, <laughs> validated a signature? Have you ever actually like when you sign for something, you know, on a digital pen pad, like at a you know a grocery store or a retail of any kind, like? Yeah, your signature is not exactly the same every time. And I've signed for other people's stuff before, and there's no, it's not comparing into some database of signatures. It's all kind of bullshit. Well, yeah, it's so when an auditor comes to you with a digital version of a check, yes. they say, is that your signature, Mr. Brown? <laughs> and you have to say, no. <laughs> or, exactly. Yeah. 
Exactly. Interesting stuff. Um, but gosh, that was just the absolute per- perfect length for a listener mail segment. Thank you so much, Anna. Uh, thank you, evil robot, mad pen scientist. For- no, thank you, evil yeah, robot no, pen no, scientist. Just, uh, I'm not into it. It's very strange. Uh, but I hope you make, you know, lots and lots of money. Um <laughs> We're going to take another quick break and hear from our sponsor and then be right back with a final piece of listener mail. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids. But I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. 
Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. And we're back and we're going to jump to our voicemail inbox. And I am sorry to report, I'm still about a month behind on that sucker, but we're getting closer and closer to real time. I promise we're going to get there soon. This message comes to us from Todd, and it's about a story that came out a little while ago. I want to say May of this year, but I had never heard of it, and it got me all thinking and excited. So let's go to it. Hey, guys. My name is Todd. Uh, I work in the aerospace industry. I am originally from Atlanta, Georgia. I love your show, uh, and I live in Los Angeles now. Uh, I got a fun one to throw your way. Uh, this one involves our, our good, dear friend, Werner von Braun, and a book that he wrote called Project Mars, The Technical Tale. And uh, I'm wondering maybe if there's some crazy, wacky theory that could tie this book and von Braun to Elon Musk. Um, in Werner von Braun's book, he mentioned the position um, uh, in the Martian government that uh, takes the title of Elon, uh, which is basically the leader of, of Mars, I believe is what it is. Maybe you guys could uh, look this connection up, maybe see if there's any anything going on here. Maybe Elon traveled back in time and had his name inserted that he could fulfill the destiny he so wishes to do. And, uh, yeah, just very interesting considering the, the coincidence in you know, Elon Musk basically paving the way forward to colonize Mars instead of a human settlement there. So, yeah, check it out. Do do a little Google search and uh, go down the rabbit hole. I know I just did. would love to hear you guys' thoughts on it. Uh, no thank you. <laughs> you don't want to go down this one? Oh, no, no. I'll let, you can have that one, Matt. You can have this one. What do you <laughs> think? What did you find down that dark, dank, spooky rabbit hole? Well, first of all, uh, Todd and everyone, I did a quick search on archive.org to see if I could actually find this book called Project Mars, a technical tale written by Werner, Werner von Braun, the you know project paperclip scientist that worked on ro- rockets for the Nazi party, then worked on rockets for NASA in the United States. Uh, it is indeed a real document that you can find. You can get a Kindle version or a PDF that you can download. You could even torrent this thing if you wish. And I got to say, I don't love it as like I'm going to sit down and read a fictional tale, uh, some, you know, novel about Mars. It's not my cup of tea as far as the language, how it moves along. It is it is literally a technical tale. It's com- it's very much combining known uh, known science when it comes to rocketry and what was being developed in 1952, 1953, and then extrapolating that to what a Mars mission would look like and then adding on top of it, you know, a fictional Martian world, right? Fictional Martian civilization that gets encountered. There's a lot of interesting stuff in there, I would say, when it comes to, you know, Black Mirror style extrapolation of technology there's something that Mission Control and I were talking about, Noel, right before you, you got on. It's their depiction or Werner von Braun's depiction of what I guess FaceTiming would be like. 
which was really interesting to see from, you know, the early 1950s. Oh, sure. I mean, I remember thinking that as a kid, that technology, the wrist communicators from Star Trek were like, you know, such future high tech stuff that was like not going to appear in our lifetime. And now it's just like, you know, something we totally take for granted. Yeah. Well, I, I want to read this excerpt. It's a it's not too long, Noel, but it's going to be tedious listening to my voice for this long. But just one moment. Bear with me. I just want you to hear this excerpt because I think you'll enjoy it. All right. Uh, there's there are two of the main characters. They're on this Martian land. They're within the Martian uh, buildings. They're on Mars. And these two Earthlings there, one of them's on one side of the base. The other one's really far away on the other side of the base. And this happens. No sooner had the door closed than the light went out, greatly to Hubbard's consternation, for he felt that this might be some sort of trap. He was about to make a rush for the door when Holt suddenly appeared across the table from him against a milky, luminous background. Ooh, I like milky, luminous background. Oh, yeah. Hello, Glenn, how goes it? How on earth, I mean Mars, did you get here so fast, Colonel? I'm not really here at all, grinned Holt. What you see is my astral body. We're talking by Martian telephone, and that includes television. Hubbard was almost speechless with amazement at the full-sized, colored, stereoscopic telepicture, for he would have bet his bottom dollar that Holt was really present. So this is a 1952-53 mind describing video conferencing, right? And, you know, we've seen that in all kinds of science fiction, but just to see it written out there by one of, you know, one of the greatest minds, a literal rocket scientist, uh, describing it in this way is pretty fascinating to me. Uh, I would tend to agree, Matt. That was uh, really excellent reading, though, by the way. Tedious? Give me a break. That was inspired. Well, you, nobody knows who Holt is in this context. I really, there's nothing here for you besides being, uh, describing it as a stereoscopic telepicture uh, on a milky, as you said, luminous background. So out, all that stuff aside, what Todd is really talking about here is this strange coincidence that Werner Von Braun describes the government as being led by this Elon, whatever this Elon is. And it is spelled E-L-O-N. And you can find it on page 177 of Project Mars, A Technical Tale, under the chapter How Mars is Governed. I believe that's the 24th chapter. Here's the quote, Noel and Todd. The Martian government was directed by 10 men, the leader of whom was elected by universal suffrage for five years and entitled Elon, E-L-O-N, again, Two houses of parliament enacted the laws to be administered by the Elon and his cabinet. So. It also makes me think of the, um, was it the Eloy from uh, the Time Machine? Oh, yeah. That's pretty good. Weren't they the weird underground dwellers, the Eloy? Ooh, you're going to have to look that up. I'm going to. We're going to have to get some AI involved because I don't remember. The Time Machine. There was the Morlocks and the Eloi. I think the Morlocks were the underground people. The Eloi are one of two post-human races existing in Moore, the year 802, AD. They are descended from upper-class individuals, live above ground, and are the main food source for the Morlocks. So they're kind of the bougie uh, above-ground dwellers, while the Morlocks are the sort of vampiric underground uh, creatures who occasionally will uh, snatch up one of these... Uh, these Eloy to be, uh, you know, grist for the mill. 
Hmm. Well, it does remind me of Eloy, Elon, Eloy, but I don't think that's what we're talking about here. Uh, I, I started trying to figure out how in the heck did Werner von Braun name this person Elon, and there's not a lot of use of this word. There really isn't, especially within the context of leader. I can't find much. Maybe I'm doing the wrong searches. Um, that might just be my fault, but I'm a bit puzzled by it. So I started looking into the etymology of the word Elon, of the name Elon, and this is what I found. According to BehindTheName.com, uh, me- this is under meaning and history, it says Elon means oak tree in Hebrew. According to the Old Testament, this was the name of one of the ruling judges of the Israelites. Okay, that would make sense. I have not uh, done a lot of digging in the Old Testament for the word Elon. I'm certain that it exists there somewhere. I just haven't seen it in a a long time, at least. Um, Also, on abarim-publications.com, you can find the etymology of the word Elon. They say it means oak. They say it comes from the the noun alon, A-L-L-O-N, which again is oak, and from the verb A-L-A-L, alal, which means to protrude. So Elon, the protruding oak. Um, I, I can't give you an explanation as to how in the heck a guy named Elon ends up being the one who seems to be <laughs> running our mission to Mars as humans. Uh, but he's the one that this rocket scientist described as running Mars, or the name at least was used. That is very puzzling to me. It's just a coincidence, right? It's just a coincidence. That's all it is. Uh, or it could be some time machine stuff. You know, that's the only reason I brought up the time machine because it made me think of, you know, time travel and stuff. It, and it, also, it could, it could be. Uh, also weird upstairs, downstairs class. Where I just finished the white Lotus, by the way, on HBO. Everybody should give that a look. It's fantastic. But, um, this is a weird one and super fun, really great fodder for like some speculative sci-fi. I think nice. Uh, Tend to believe that it's a coincidence, but um, it's a weird one, man. And you you found some good stuff. Yeah, I I mean, there's not there's not much to it. I I think Todd. Oh gosh, I'm already forgetting. I, that's how my mind works now. Things go in, they stay for a moment, and then they're gone. But I believe Todd, you mentioned like, is this just Elon maybe knowing about this or hearing about it, being named that, and you know, having an interest in some of the fields that would lead him towards this goal and now it's like part of his destiny or is it literally just a coincidence very strange to me but i don't have any answers i'm sorry it's not really stuff they don't want you to know unless Werner von braun knew something you know in 1952 he somehow was able to bend light so that he could see that a man named elon musk was on mars at some point in the future <laughs> Well, I have no doubt that Werner von Braun knew uh, some stuff that he did not want us to know. Um, and many of those things likely died with him. But thanks for the voicemail. Um, that was a real head scratcher. Matt, I believe you have a, a bonus voicemail for us for today to wrap us up, don't you? I do. And I consider this a bonus because there's not a ton of discussion for us to have on the show about it. But I very much 
enjoyed the response that this person had to one of our, I think it was a strange news or maybe it was a listener mail segment. It was one of the two about this thing. I think, Noel, you brought it up. That's right. Uh, I, and I don't want to spoil anything. Let's just jump straight to it. This is Dave, a.k.a. The Constant Caller. Hey, guys. Uh, look, fellas, it's finally happened. You've actually expressed a viewpoint that I just wholeheartedly cannot get behind. This is Dave, The Constant Caller, calling. You know, this birds aren't real movement uh, is questionable because, you know, as you guys know, there are people in this country that will believe any god thing they're told or fed. Look at Trumpism. Look at the January 6th insurrection. Look at, um, well, the Flat Earth Movement, even, you know, that you guys even mentioned. There are people that will really believe that crap. And, you know, what's going to happen is with these nuts, so it's going to become open season on songbirds because they will no longer feel any ethical or moral obligation to leave them alone. And you know what? The songbirds in this country are already struggling. If this people, you know, granted, if they're going for a money grab, like you say, you got to pay tickets to go to comedy show, that's okay in that respect. Well, why didn't they come up with something like clouds aren't real or, uh, you know, something harmless like that, like, uh, you know, carbon isn't real you know what I mean? They could have come up with an equally uh, ludicrous or absurd idea and accomplished the same goal. Why, why put a species at risk for your own personal gain? Just like I mentioned before on one of my previous calls, I hope that they never actually find any real Bigfoot slash Sasquatch, whatever you want to call them. Because if they do, it'll become open season. They'll be wanting to hunt them, capture them, put them in zoos, etc. Guys, I love your show, but I can't get behind this particular notion. All right, fellas, take care. Still love the show, and hopefully, you know, you'll you'll see my point of view on this matter. Take care. Keep up the good work. Bye bye. Well, Dave, I mean, we had a whole moment in that conversation where I believe I brought up the idea that it was something that, that certain people might glom onto uh, yeah. for that very same reason, the whole flat earth thing. I mean, it seems on the surface so absurd and, and easily disprovable. Uh, is, it a sat- is it a satire belief system? I think for some, surely it is. Uh, but I think for plenty, it absolutely is not. So I think we had a whole moment in the conversation. We were talking about how there are certain folks that could truly believe this. It did not occur to me that it would lead to open season on songbirds per se, but um, I see where you're coming from. Obviously you're a fan of, uh, of, of these creepy little dinosaurs. <laughs> I really wanted to play this on air. Cause Noel, I know how not necessarily anti bird you are. No, I'm not anti-bird. I'm just, I'm bird cautious, okay? <laughs> I, am, I, I view birds with a skeptical caution. Um, I don't trust them. I don't like their beady little eyes, their creepy little claws, and their jerky little movements. Well, okay. hey, you know, <laughs> I'm just glad that, uh, I don't know, I, there was something about Dave's passionate response to it that just really got to me no i I loved it uh and again this is somebody i've talked to several one one time but i've listened to him call in many many a time and uh 
He really, he really is the constant caller in a great way because he always, he always has something to contribute. Um, I just really, I, I think he's on to something here, where e- even if it's with the best intentions, spreading a, you know, a theory like that, like birds aren't real can have dangerous side effects because you never know how it's going to be taken, whether literally or metaphorically or, you know, to what degree uh, someone would act on this concept. It's just food for thought, man. And I think we did talk about it to a fairly long extent there and covered a lot of ground when we discussed it last time. I think you're right, Noel. But I, again, appreciate your passion for, for the birds um, and I completely agree. I mean, we're living in a really scary time where information is taken at face value so easily, despite the fact that we have all these amazing tools to vet information like super quickly. Uh, and yet we've become really lazy uh, in terms of like the way that we um, fortify ourselves against this kind of misinformation. And again, I think that's sort of what this campaign or whatever you want to call it kind of performance art thing is sort of pointing to uh, is that of course this is so stupid that no one could possibly believe it but I think maybe it's almost like it's 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 what like kind of proving its own point a little bit too too pointedly <laughs> <laughs> it's too pointy I would just say even these places that we go online to to vet our sources can have flaws there was a big story recently, not recently, but somewhat recently that came out about Snopes.com and one of the founders of that website and how they were literally ripping off other websites just just directly. And some of the writers were told to do that. And, you know, the information wasn't necessarily from their own research in several instances, not Dang, always. This is news to me, not Snopes. Yeah, well, I mean, again, like, no source is perfect, right? Uh, every, you know, no matter what you're trying to use to vet sources, everyone is kind of going, doing their level best, let's say, at least in the best case scenario. But that's not always true. So I think that's why it's so important that we have this, everyone listening right now, this, you know, group of people that is, that we're all going to be using our critical thinking skills to, to take on any and all subjects. And when we work together and we think together and we can discuss, I think that's where we get the closest to the truth. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I'd love to know what you think about that and everything that we've covered on this episode. And we are super easy to find and to give feedback to. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook and YouTube where we are conspiracy stuff on Instagram or conspiracy stuff show. That's right. And if you would like to find uh, me as an individual on social media, I am at How Now Noel Brown exclusively on Instagram. Matt, what are you at? Birds aren't real. Matt Frederick, HSW iHeart. <laughs> at Todd the Constant Eloner. No, I don't. I don't know. I love uh, you that. Can, I'll tell you really. It's Matt underscore Frederick underscore. Nope. I, I can't. I don't know what it is. It's Matt Frederick something. Yeah. Just look up Matt Frederick. He's around. There aren't that many of them. But can people find you on like uh, Twitch or D and D online or one of those nerd things? There's yeah. There's all kinds of weird stuff. <laughs> uh, I've been playing that Magic Arena a lot. I saw yeah. another something on Twitter about that, and I've played a couple games with a few people, and I have just been destroyed by everybody I've played thus far good, that I've huh? met. Well, if anybody plays Monster Hunter Rise on the Switch, 
uh, hit me up with a DM. I'd, I'd love to, to go on a monster hunt with you. Um, yeah, just you can do that via Instagram. Uh, you can also give us a call as a show. You could participate in one of these very listener mail episodes that you've just heard. You can call us at one eight three three stdwytk Leave a message with the sound of Ben's dulcet tones. You got three minutes. Those three minutes are yours. Do with them as you will. Uh, but please do let us know that it's okay to use your vocal likeness on the show and let us know what to call you or if you don't want us to call you anything at all. And you, you know, never know. You might actually get a call. From our boy Matt Frederick, because he's just good like that. Yeah, I'm sorry in advance, because I will call you. He will call her! Sorry, a reference? <laughs> I don't think I got that reference, Matt. It's a deep oh, one. Uh, maybe, maybe this will be it. You will call her! No? Uh, amazing inflection, but still don't think I know the uh, pop cultural property that you are referencing. Well, I'm sorry that you don't get it. I'm going to drink a few more glasses of this milk and uh oh oh okay because it's yeah you, it's such a hot day probably not the best choice of beverage sure that's another reference we're crossing references here oh so it's but not anchorman no <laughs> so somebody will get it somebody okay. out there will well, get it i hope godspeed to you let us know what matt's referencing and we will send you uh, a t-shirt or something you can find our t-shirts still i think uh if you go to tpublic.com uh, and search for stuff they don't want you to know. We do have merch. I think we're going to start being a little more um, conscientious about getting some new designs out there. But uh, so be on the lookout for that. Nice. But for now, all you have to do if you want to reach out to us, especially if you got links or something lengthy, send us a good old fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media, but now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? 
Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.